My mother had a very simple way of judging any form of entertainment. When she went to a movie or a play or read a novel, her question was always, well, what's the moral of this story? She didn't go much for, she didn't go at all for violence or explicit sex or profanity, but she could put up with a little bit of that as long as there was a moral to the story, something edifying, something that would help us to get through the week, to live better lives. Well, if we're looking for a moral lesson in today's Old Testament story, we're going to need some help. As the story begins, King David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem with great festivity. David and all the house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. In other words, a typical service at St. Paul's. <laughs> but there's one person in Jerusalem who doesn't share in the fun. David's wife, Michal. She looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart because he was dancing in mixed company with nothing more than a loincloth to cover his nakedness. When Michal comes out of the house to give David a piece of her mind, he doubles down on his commitment to street naked dancing. He reminds her that God had chosen him to rule over Israel in place of her father, King Saul. And the narrator of the story concludes by saying, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Okay, so what's the moral of this story? What lesson can we learn that will help us to be better Christians in the coming week? Well, it's complicated. Some preachers say that the moral of this story is that dancing is okay as long as you do it for the glory of God. Others say that we ought to find out what God is calling us to do, whether it's dancing in the street or something else, and whatever it is, then we should do it with all the joy and enthusiasm we can muster. But you see, those preachers have been focusing on King David as he cavorts before the Lord. And if they mention Michal at all, it is to criticize her for being a spoil sport, a party pooper, and a nagging wife. Today, I want us to hear her side of the story. It's no secret that the Bible is heavily male-focused. When women appear in Holy Scripture, they are often left unnamed or identified only by their relationship to men. We seldom get any sense of their inner feelings, and they tend to be portrayed as minor characters rather than as agents in their own right. Michal is a bit of an exception, but only partially so. So let's take a look at what we know about her and try to at least imagine things from her point of view. And for that, I need to give you some backstory. As the feminist biblical scholar Cheryl Exum notes, we can trace the ups and downs of Michal's fortunes by the way she is identified in the biblical narrative, mostly in terms of her relationship to men. She's Saul's daughter, and then David's wife, and then 
somebody else's wife and then David's wife again, and then she's back to being the daughter of Saul. When we first meet her in 1 Samuel, Michal is said to be the younger daughter of King Saul and the sister of Jonathan. We are told that she loves David, but tellingly, we never hear that he loved her in return. After David wins the right to marry her by killing a hundred Philistines, she's called the wife of David, which obviously strengthens his claim to the throne since now he's related to a member of the royal family. But when Saul becomes jealous of David's popularity among the people, Michal takes her husband's side and she helps him escape through a window and tells Saul's soldiers that David is sick in bed. Then while David is in hiding, fleeing for his life, Saul decides to marry his daughter off to someone else, to a man named Palti. And after Saul dies in battle and David becomes king, he demands that Michal be returned to him, which causes her new husband, Palti, great distress. Apparently, in that case, the love match went both ways. The contrast is stark. David wants her back as a token of his triumph over the house of Saul, while Palti follows after her, weeping, until David's general Abner sends him home. So Michal then resumes her role as David's wife, or one of his wives. By now he has six other wives, with at least one son by each of them. When we see her standing at the window watching David dancing before the ark, she is again identified in the text as the daughter of Saul. But this is no longer a position of honor because Saul is by now dead and buried. If anything, Michal is a dynastic liability to David. If she had had a son, the reactionary forces in Israel would have wanted to promote him as a usurper to replace David as the king. I told you, it's complicated. So no wonder Michal is bitter about David's bringing the Holy Ark into his new capital city and celebrating God's presence among the people in triumph. When she stands at the window watching him dance, she must have been remembering how she helped him escape through that other window years before. She must have been wondering what happened to the thanks she never got for her good deed. When she despises David in her heart, there's probably a lot more going on there than just her indignation about his lack of proper dancing attire. The last that we hear of McCall is that she never had any children. But why? Did David in his anger no longer want to have relations with her? Did she in her bitterness dare to withhold her affections from the king? Or are we supposed to think that God somehow punished her for her bad attitude toward art dancing? The biblical narrator never tells us, lets us draw our own conclusions. You can tell me what you think after church is over. <laughs> so what then is the moral of Michal's story? With her in mind, maybe we will be a bit more empathetic with people who seem contrary or hypercritical or antisocial. They probably have more sorrows and burdens than we know or could even understand. If we were in their shoes, how would we feel? What would we do? 
But I also hope we'll think about the ways a person's behavior is shaped by historical factors like gender, race, class, and culture. Morality is not just an individual matter. Like Nicole, all of us have to play the hand that we are dealt in the context of the society in which we live. So perhaps we can understand why Nicole couldn't celebrate the presence of God symbolized by the Ark of the Covenant. She couldn't participate in the communal feast. She wasn't happy about her husband's military victory or his new capital city or his ecstatic dancing. As the daughter of David's defeated foe and a woman who had been treated by both sides as one of the spoils of war, she was more sinned against than sinning. If we were to criticize McCall for not joining the party, it would be like blaming women in the Me Too movement for being so angry, or blaming Central American refugees for crossing the border without permission, or blaming Black Lives Matter protesters because they're stopping traffic during rush hour. If we want to be critical of what's happening in situations like this, we need to address the cause of the hurt. Now, I'm not talking partisan politics here. We can still disagree about the best way to solve these structural problems, but we can't just ignore them. We have to get involved. We have to work together to bring McCall and all the other people into the celebration. I believe God wants this church to be a place of hospitality and healing for people of every race, every gender, every sexual orientation, every nationality, and every political party. I believe God wants us to be the kind of community where someone like Michal can find a home, a place where she too can dance in joy before the Lord. As Christians, we are called to make room for people like Michal and all the rest of God's beloved children. All of us together across every boundary, together we're invited to the table. In communion with God and one another, we can come together in love and forgiveness and patience and understanding, trusting in God's merciful presence in our midst. Let us all rejoice to keep the feast.